0: whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Dirk Kneeport has had a profound and lasting impact on the Portuguese wine industry, as well as the global wine scene. As outspoken as he is opinionated, he's widely regarded as one of its most talented winemakers and profound thinkers. Listen to us chat about the Douro Valley's table wine revolution, his search to combine tradition with innovation, and why failure is part of the process of getting better. Hi Dirk, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. Nice to see you. I haven't been with you for such a long time. I know. I missed, I missed you in the, in the, in Spain this summer. I knew you'd been there because I saw bottles yep. of Nipol. <laughs> you weren't there. Right,
1: right. So where are you now? Um, I'm in the garden at home. Very nice. In a porto. In porto, yeah. yes. Uh, my residence usually was airports, but now it's more home. So, are you travelling less? I'm trying to. Yeah, I think we all are, really. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not sure. A lot of people seem to be in the need of travelling, um, but I'm not in the need of travelling at all.
0: Yeah, are you feeling? Let you feeling more and more like you want to stay at home. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about the about the business. I mean, you know, it was was created in 1842 by Franciscus Marius. Van der you're the fifth generation. What brought somebody from the Netherlands to Portugal in those days? You know, w- was it wine or was it trade? Let me
1: remind you that uh, we are all Edward, Edward, Franciscus, Edward, Rolf, Edward, Daniel, Eddie, Derek, and so on. Uh, mm. So it's, it's one of the traditions. We don't really know exactly what took us to Portugal. We believe that it might have been. Textile business or cod but um we we don't really know and and there was a guy eduard uh, Keber before us who started Niport. uh then my great 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 grandfather got associated and uh he died seven years later and since then it's Niport. and do you know much about him about about the first generation mm. nope no we have uh, some paintings of him, um, looks very noble, very aristocratic, but I'm not even sure we were. At least we are not. Yeah, you're, you're not even sure what? You're not sure? Uh, we,
0: we are not aristocratic, probably. Ah, okay, well, I always think of you as aristocratic. Uh, good, good. Makes me happy. <laughs> Listen, at I mean, least, you were brought at up... At least here. I fooled someone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you were brought up in Portugal. You went to a German college there. You studied economics at the University in Switzerland. And until the pandemic, you know, as you said, you're a great traveller. I just wonder where you feel most at home. Do you feel most at home
1: in Portugal? Do you feel Portuguese? I, I have a Dutch passport. Uh, since recently, um, I have a Portuguese. Well, I don't have the passport yet, but I have, I'm Portuguese now. Um, but I must confess... I don't look Portuguese, but I feel Portuguese. I don't Mm, behave very Portuguese, but I feel Portuguese. And my heart is Portuguese. But you feel comfortable anywhere in the world, really, don't you? Yes,
0: I do. And it's interesting. I noticed I read somewhere that you were, as a child, you know, even age eight, you were decanting, pouring wines at your your father's table, but you were reluctant to go into into wine. I just wonder what changed your mind?
1: I, um, I, I don't really know. It, it was a Swiss old woman friend of my grandfather who suggested that I should uh, study economics in Switzerland. And uh, so I did. And uh, and uh, I did a stage with the Mövenpick, so a wine company. But it could have been a bank. It could have been a lot of other things. Uh, and it was... A bit weird at the time because uh, when I made the interview uh, I got everything wrong. Um, I asked more money than I should have. Uh, I was really badly dressed like I am today and I had a problem with my car so I was full of oil everywhere Um, and it was a bit hilarious because the lady who interviewed me for whatever reason, she, she found me funny and, um, and she kept on joking about me and, and to a point where I started noticing that I was doing everything wrong. And then I said, are you going to hire me or not? And she said, look, um, if it was me, I would hire you immediately, but, um, you're doing everything wrong. Uh, and no, probably not. Um, but they hired me and so
0: and 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 when did you start tasting wine immediately with them
1: no i started making looking at numbers and they had a legal problem and um and they gave me something to do which was more important than i thought i thought it was just a little stupid test for keeping me busy and uh it ended up being quite important and um and later on uh it went all in a interesting direction and they, they gave me a lot of responsibility which I didn't feel like I should have. And uh, But there were a few people there that uh, looked after me and uh, somehow thought I was interesting or whatever. And so every day they gave me a glass of wine to taste and explained it to me. And so this is the beginning of my interest for wine, but also the Olympic—they used to have a um, um, internal book about wine, and and funny enough, I read it like you know in one night the, the whole bloody book, and and it it puzzled me why would people pay so much money for wine, what the hell is about Petrus and uh, Romani Conti and things like that and so on. Um, yep. So probably Movenpick has a lot of thought in my in wine,
0: a, a lot, to answer for, as we say. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> and
1: you never studied winemaking, did you? No, no, no. That's why I don't know how to make wine, but shit happens. Do Do you think that helped in a way? Do you think um, it helped not studying it? Um, I like to say I was not castrated, uh, so i i learned from the best basically my school was drinking wine tasting wine being with people like you uh who know about wine um and listening and listening and listening and then visiting producers and um more and more i i got to the point where i um well i started understanding a little bit about wine and uh and then got inspired by by producers um a lot of burgundy in the past and but not not only <laughs> Dylan, Dylan is is an institution for me he changed my life uh, angelo gaia um lots of people and you went to Cuvezon didn't you in the napa valley i wouldn't know whether whether john thatcher was there was he Yep, I, I didn't get particularly along with him. Uh, well, he didn't give a shit about me. Uh, but there were two other producers, uh, winemakers making wine at Couguison. And, um, and they uh, took took me serious somehow. And again, they every day they gave me a glass of something outside of the box to taste. And there was manfred Esser, the the, the director uh hired by the schmit um and he used me a lot as a chauffeur and and uh on 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 the way um he he would spend a lot of time explaining me what he was doing and this and this and that, and apparently in those days, I was listening to him. And um, so I learned quite a lot from him um, and it was a fantastic experience, yeah. I mean, in 87, you then went back to
0: Portugal to work with your dad, Rolf, yeah? And who had the idea of acquiring vineyards? Was that you? Did you persuade your dad because you bought Quinta Quinta de Napoles and Quinta de Caril, yeah?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I was in the time of full of shit and I said, well, we have to buy something to tell them that our best port is uh, from our own vineyards and uh, tell the story, uh, not really believing in it. And we ended up buying Cahill and Kintanap, which are actually north facing, uh, Mm -hmm. which pushed me into... um, Actually, my father wanted to buy the property, not me, because I was seriously trying to buy something Good for port, but he wanted to buy this because it was close uh, to Regua, the roads were good, and Mm. so his priorities were totally different from mine. Mm. But um, we ended up buying something which was not particularly good for port, but particularly good for reds. So it pushed me, it pushed me, even if I had no idea I was going to make a red wine, it pushed me into making red wine.
0: Yeah, it, it, interesting. Um, just give us a little quick overview of the Douro. It's this enormous region, what, 45,000 hectares? Just tell us about the three sub-regions and how different they are and maybe the soil types. Can you tell us quickly?
1: Well, the, the first thing is, as you mentioned, it's is a huge area, 45,000 hectares. Um, we're talking about not only those three sub-regions. We're talking about vineyards which go from 80 to 800 metres of height and uh north south east west and so on uh so what was a classic vineyard for ports um in nowadays is i think uh more than just that is is um, great vineyards for red wine are different from ports vineyards mm. and uh it's I think we have to separate those um, issues. And the best vineyards that I know for wine are north facing and high altitude, and the classic vineyards for port are still south. But yeah. um, let's let's face one thing: that is that when I started working with my father in eighty seven. Um, To give you an example, there were 100,000 pipes of port being made and maybe 1,000 pipes of red wine, Hmm. DOC. Hmm. Today, let's assume it's 100,000 pipes of port and there's 85,000 pipes of red wine being made. So an area which was totally committed to port and as colleague of mine insists on saying the the wine is uh, the disaster of the Douro. I I would say it's exactly the other way around. We have to look at the Douro as an area which is, okay, port is the base of it, yes, Mm. but the wine side and the tourism are synergies which are the most important thing to make sure that Um, A wine area can subsist under really difficult conditions, Mm -hmm. name it, being in a hot area, the yields are low, the the hard work in the vineyards are horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and I think so that tourism is, is important for the people to understand how hard it is. People have to feel it, see it. Yeah. And yeah. so the future of the Douro is port, mm. with table white and wood. red, okay. and churi.
0: yeah, yeah. And and how many? something like eighty-five grape varieties, aren't there?
1: Yeah. Um, or more. Yep. More. Well, yeah. In cool. Portugal, we are talking about three hundred and forty-five. Um. Yep. Yeah. I think in the Douro is probably more than eighty-five. Now, eighty-five yeah. is the ones that are registered. Yeah. Um, but you have more than that. And so, so, the vineyards we work with, and, and I'm a, a bit nuts about old vines, and, um, they were co planted. So it's not unusual to have 40 different varieties in one vineyard. Wow. And, and, and not know what some of them are? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And what and the dominant soil type is schist. How much of the Duro is
1: schist? Uh, if you look at the demarcation of Douro, it's actually totally based on where the schist is. So mm. all the neighboring areas are granite. And those neighboring areas are interesting for white wines. But on the red wines and the ports, uh, I would say 99.9% is, is really schist. On the white wines, uh, now a case 80% is schist, but 20% is granite. Yeah. It,
0: when you made your first red wine as opposed to port in 1990, um, what was the red wine scene like then? I mean, people knew about Barcavelia, didn't they? And and what Quinto de Coto and maybe Dos Quintos. But I mean, it wasn't famous Portugal for red wines, especially in the Douro, was it?
1: Well, if you look back, uh, Barcavelia didn't mention. Um, that it was doro. Um uh, mm. was the first, in my opinion, 80, 80, um where he assumed it is a Doro wine and he did a mm. great job for the Doro. Uh Nicola Almeida started in the eighties as well. Um mm. um but yeah, statistically nothing was really existing and um so it's it's a huge change and then you have a lot of other slowly producers beginning to make uh, in the 90s. Yeah. But I, I would say the turning point of the Doro, um was 2001 with uh, Pintosh, Pueyda, yeah. and many others starting uh, actively. Also, Also, yeah. it's also interesting that it was the beginning of winemakers living in the Douro and assuming that they live in the Douro and not in the city so it's, it's um, socially speaking probably a little detail which has a lot of importance.
0: I think it was you told me that your father and grandfather never slept in the Douro you know they might go there for the day but they'd always come back to Porto yeah usually yes yeah
1: that, yeah that's how it was yeah yeah
0: I mean that first wine you made, that, that robustus, you know, it sounds, it tastes like it sounds, right? You know, you described it as a monster, massively powerfully tannic, and you
1: never relieved released it. Do you have any left? Have you have you drunk it recently? Oh, I opened one two days ago and it was absolutely fantastic. And it just gets better and better and better. Uh, it's becoming less monstrous, it's becoming more gentle. Um I remember one day, um, my mother asking me, um, are you having d- dinner with Michael Broadbent tonight and not inviting your father? And I said, yes. Um, I hear you're going to the theater and you're having dinner before. And, uh, and she said, yes. I said, so take my father for dinner. but we'll send him after dinner to my house so that he doesn't destroy my dinner, because he's going to only talk badly about my wines, but he will arrive on time for the port. And uh, (laughs) so it was. He Well, he arrived a little bit too early, Um, and uh, so he tasted the Robusto's 90, and Michael Brockman was um, very positive. Uh, My father was very negative, and he, instead of wanting... The red wine he wanted the beer so i got him a beer it was a time where he, he was provoking uh, a bit against me and um and um and then uh, well i forced my father to taste the bloody 90 and uh and he he said to michael he said well yeah my father would love this it's really barnyardy, it's really stinky is really shitty and blah 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 and um, Michael Brotman was very English in his manner. He said, But Rolf, this is the of Portugal. This is really, really good. <laughs> and I said, Well, well said, I'm, I'm sticking to my beer and, and so on. So it was not very friendly. But uh, after that, we had a vintage 45 and then peace was there. And it was and fine. Was yeah. happy.
0: I mean, when when you made Redoma the, the next year, yeah, in uh, in two thousand uh, sorry, nineteen ninety one, were you conscious of wanting to change the style from what robustus was, even though you you were quite pleased with it? I think
1: I have no idea what I was doing. I was trying to do whatever I could under very bad conditions, so I, I cannot really speak of a plan of knowing what I was doing. I was doing the best under really bad conditions, but. You know, I had a a Magnum of 94 um, just a few days ago, and uh, it was funny to hear my son, Daniel, um, asking me, Papi, this is really, really good. And I said, "Yeah, I'm happy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But his question was, um, are we going in the right direction with less extraction? less this, less that, and look, maybe you were right at the time and maybe we were wrong at the time. And I said, no, I think we are on the right track and I think the wines we are making are going to be even better than the old stuff. But, you know, as I was saying that, I was asking myself, "Mm, am I right or am I Were you all along, right?
0: Yeah. I I wanted to ask you, I mean, how you would define your winemaking style do you have a style or do you, is it just you listening to the vineyard
1: well I, yeah well i have a philosophical logic which is less is more and um uh, so i don't i don't like these modern um heavy duty overripe overwooded wooded mm-hmm. uh, you know, of alcoholic wines. So, yes, I definitely have a style in the s- sense that I've been making uh, lighter wines for a long time, and I follow that. But it's it's not really my invention. I mean, in the past, the wines in the Douro were 12 and a half alcohol and not 15 and a half. So, so um, it's not me inventing the wheel. it's mm-hmm. it's uh just not accepting the Robert Parker Bullshit uh Michel Rolland kind of thing. Nothing against Michel Holland. I like him a lot as a person. Um mm-hmm. but they created those monsters which were very fashionable, which maybe in the future will be less fashionable, uh, at least when I see again What's happening in Bordeaux, it's it's, uh, incredible how these guys can adapt. And uh, Mm. suddenly they are making more uh, decent wines that are more drinkable. Uh, So I have a style, but I I don't think it's my style. I don't think I invented anything. It's it's just I'm following um, a basic rule, which is acidity, freshness, balance, harmony are the essence of a great wine and not power over ripeness, bigness and over woodness.
0: And and who has influenced you? Anybody in particular? Any winemakers? You talk about Angelo Gaia sometimes, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, Angelo Gaia is a very inspiring person in my life. But then again, uh, Jamais is for me the... um, the most inspiring vigneron in the world. And again, the word vigneron is something which you don't find uh, elsewhere, except in France, a little bit in Germany, a little bit in Austria. Um, um, it's, it's people who do everything, uh, they are hard on the work and so on. Um Romaine Conti for me is, is an example of something but uh, Burgundy has been my inspiration. At the moment, it's my disinspiration because I think it's going totally berserk in, in the wrong direction. But then again, you you have Jean-Marc Roulot, who is is a, an intellectual person who thinks what he's doing. Um, um, and I have my own project in Mosul and. Mosul is, is is a lot, and um, I have to mention Wilhelm Haag, who is my real mentor, who probably changed my life and uh, forced me to look for elegance and likeness and perfection. Um, but there's many, many people making great wines. Um, so, yeah, there's many. Mm-hmm. D- d- tell us a little bit
0: about the Douro Boys project how how that came about because it's been very significant i think as you have been individually but also as a collective it's had a real influence on the image of
1: portugal i think has not it well are, this was uh i have had always this um crazy strange thing of sharing people uh so if you as an important journalist would come and visit us i i would not want you for me i would want you um, you know, to talk about your experience, your wines, eventually bring a bottle or taste a bottle with us and so, I would always invite people and share people with journalists, importers, and so on and um cristiano was is is a very important person in the Doro boys who also this
0: is cristiano Vanzella, yeah
1: cristiano Vanzella, yep yeah. sorry yeah. um And he's also someone who uh, is very sharing and and so on. And um, he came up with the idea, since he was the beginner, he helped Krasto, Valado, Valmyang in a different way uh, to put us together. And uh, at the time I was uh, married with uh, Dolly. Uh, and I thought this is a good excuse to keep her busy and, um, um, you know, for her to look after the sheep. And uh, yes. for me, she's like the, the shepherd's dog, uh, um, because she
0: was doing the, the marketing and the PR, yeah,
1: exactly. So, yeah, more than just that, she, she was getting the animals together and, and putting. <laughs> You know no it's 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 um it's not unimportant it's part of her job, mm. uh, which is probably the most difficult part is to have these bastards um different personalities uh, and put them in a room and do what she wants and um she did a good job and this was in two thousand two uh mm. and um, as as a politician one day said uh after 10 years, he said, well, the Douro Boys have done more for Portugal in 10 years than all the other companies together in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I could not say no, because um, yeah. in a way, the Douro Boys have made a movement. And mm. again, when we think about what I said 30 years ago, the Douro didn't exist except for Port, mm. and now it's the most famous area in Portugal. Um, mm. So something must have happened in a yeah. dramatic way.
0: I mean, you've talked about this switch from port to table wines, and I think now the majority of your production is is table wines, isn't it? Do you still
1: like making port? I love. That's the best wine I've made in my life is the vintage seventeen, and I love port. Uh, mm. So don't misjudge the situation. Uh, I think port is the thing in the world uh, and i love madeira and i love what uh, else well and so on so i love fortifieds but i don't have a problem to say that um, the best fortified in the world is port
0: yeah I and mean, do you think it
1: gets the credit
0: it deserves or not port I mean, vintage port does but does no. all
1: port get the credit it deserves not yet no but we're working on it we're changing and uh and uh, funny enough, the British houses they have discovered the Creators and the Tonys, which uh, they neglected for hundreds of years, and um, and they're doing a very very good job and great presentation, great great quality in the bottle. Um, so uh, I think port is on the right track, but um, it deserves a lot more than the way it is. Then we have to work quite a bit more on it.
0: Yeah, just tell us a little bit about climate change. You 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 talked about you're being used to living on on the edge of too hot, right? I just wonder is the too hot getting worse? I mean, somebody was telling me this year the Douro was very hot this summer, wasn't it?
1: Well, I uh, will start the other way around. Um, I think the, the the regions that are suffering the most are the limit areas like Burgundy. Uh, Mm. Mosul, Germany, um, Mm. what made them great was the difficulty of the ripeness and Mm. they don't have those problems anymore and they are making too much wines like us, Um, Mm. which makes my life easier because uh, Mm. the prices of Burgundy are becoming so stupidly stupid Mm. that Mm. people suddenly like our kosh or our charm and think they are lighter more elegant than burgundy mm-hmm. so that is uh, a positive thing for us but mm. i think we we, we cannot um uh, say that the world is changing it is changing and it is changing for us and this mm-hmm. year was a good example of. It didn't end up being a disaster, but it looked like a disaster. And uh, in the end, the conditions were good. The yields were very low, but uh, the quality of the wines are, I don't want to say exceptionally, but uh, much, much more balanced than I expected. And, And again, nature sometimes, is is very intelligent. It's incredible. Because it was too hot, the vineyards stopped producing. And so, it's actually not a year where the alcohol is very high. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was going to be a totally overripe year, like 2003 or something like that. But it actually looks very balanced. And potentially for port, is actually very good. And if... The red wines picked at the right time, fantastic. And the, the white wines don't have the acidity that we would have hoped. But again, if you work with north-facing vineyards, high vineyards, and pick at the right time, it, it, um, it's, it's a year where um, the work in the cellar or the picking makes miracles. So it, it's not a natural year. It's 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 a mm. it's a year where the winemaker makes a difference.
0: Yeah, you could almost say you're used to dealing with those sorts of conditions, right? Not not that extreme, but it's a hot region, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then it was funny, also, my son telling me um, before the harvest, um, suddenly asking me, he said, "Papi, but how did you know that when we picked that the acidity is so low, and this and this and this and that I said, well, it's, you know thirty years of turning we say in Portuguese turning chicken uh, really um and so the point is that uh, he was incredible uh, amazed how I was right, but it's it's i think it's a natural thing uh, Mm. Um, it just produced a strange year, which ended up being quite good. And mm. and since he did the right things and the right decisions, the, the result is very good.
0: It's interesting. I mean, you you've always been a great innovator, but you've also followed your own path. I love it. The fact you say that I make what I want, and then I try to explain it to people. Do you think some winemakers are too influenced by fashion and by journalists and by consultants?
1: I would say 90% of them, they go by what they think that the consumer wants or the journalist mm. wants or whatever. Yeah, I've never done mm. that. Mm.
0: I mean, it's interesting that you said that your challenge is to combine tradition with, with innovation. Uh, can you tell us
1: a bit more about that? Do you think you've succeeded in doing that? No, I think, I think you know, the the, the thing is we live in Portugal which is a country which is was locked down by um salazar politics Tater, yeah and so the time stopped and the time stopped is is a negative thing in a way but it's a positive thing in another way and what i would say to the young generation and what i have done is to combine Technology the knowledge the university knowledge with empiric knowledge and what what, what drives me crazy is that uh, um, the people who have studied they think they know everything and they ignore the, the old people mm-hmm. and uh, I think if a young person is intelligent and has a lot of knowledge which is combined with with um, empiric knowledge, and this is where we can learn a lot because Portugal still has those old people and those traditions mm. and all these knowledge. And and you can see that in the terms of vineyards, uh, traditions in the winemaking. There's many, many arguments that Portugal has to offer that make, can make a huge difference.
0: And also, it's interesting that you regard failure, in inverted commas, as part of the process of getting better. I mean, do you, are you conscious sometimes of pushing yourself to the point where you're almost taking risks that you know are going to be dangerous or not? That's my life. Yeah.
1: What, to push boundaries, you mean? Yes. Go over the limits, push it. Um, I can give you an example in again, I spoke with uh, my son about it. Uh, we had a Magnum of Ladredo Ribera Sacra 2008. Uh, since it was the, the first wine I made there, I pushed it over the limit. And it's probably one of the best wines I've ever made. And it's funny how then you get reasonable, you get normal, you get control over the situation and you don't push it so much Mm. and the wine becomes more okay and every time i drink that i i think it's 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 a wine that you can have next to Mm. latash next to anything you want and it's Mm. better Mm. and then i'm not being nice to myself now i you know, I had Raul Perez who made the wine with me in those days, and then he was crying and he thought, Why, how can you serve Ladredo after Latache? I said, Because it's better. <laughs> and I love it. And I, and I had it for Daniel's birthday, and it, it's just an amazing, incredible wine. Yeah. And are both of your boys in the business? I mean, you've got a daughter as well? Is she going to go into one? But she's at the moment working in Salzburg and very motivated in restaurants, and she's going to South Africa, and um, maybe I will see her in South Africa. Uh, but you know my rule is uh, they don't have to work with me. they don't have to work mm. in me but the boys are work. yeah. the boys are in the
0: business the two think. are yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Marco in Germany and Daniel here. In the winery, yeah. Listen, last
0: question. I just want to ask you, I know wine in, is so much an important part of your life as is entertaining and sharing wines with people. Are there other things that you like doing? How do you get away from wine? I mean, you're a great reader, aren't you?
1: Anything else you like doing? I like I like music. Um, um, but I, I must confess that uh, I've been trying to work less um, and I'm working less. But um, I don't like not working. so <laughs> Working less, but drinking more? No, 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 no. Drinking less, but better. Um, <laughs> no, drinking a lot less, but no, drinking better. Okay. Uh, whatever that means. Because, again, um, I, I like uh, drinking fun wine more than... Um, We were talking about Burgundy and I think Burgundy is going through a a problem that they will suffer one day sooner Mm -hmm. or later because uh, the wines are becoming too expensive and because they are expensive they become woodier, because of the climate change they become heavier, Mm -hmm. they become more alcoholic and they are not anymore what was the essence of what I, Burgundy, think. Um, So I'm drinking a lot less burgundy, um, but then finding um, that suddenly our neighbors in Galicia are, are making some incredible, stunning wines, uh, not only white, but also red, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly areas which are strange that would, nobody would, uh, like Arribas in Spain, um Comando G in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, talking about badly about journalists, um, you know, Parker destroyed some part of the planet. Um, some people profited a lot from it, so it's, it's positive, not negative, but uh, the wines went totally the wrong way. But it's interesting, like uh, Luis Gutierrez, Parker of Spain, uh is is doing exactly the same thing as Parker did but the other way around mm. so it's positive. promoting the lighter wines yeah. it's promoting oh, yeah. and and you know giving points to wines that nobody would give a shit um which are incredible and really good and in the right direction in my opinion mm. Mm. so um so i see the world very positively um it can go in many directions and on that note it's been fantastic talking to you Uh,
0: less but better lighter wines it's been great to share your vision of the Dura and what you've achieved in Portugal thank you Dick lovely to talk to you
1: thank you see you in Portugal
0: soon yes please well I told you Dirk was a man of strong convictions and he didn't let me down next week on Cork Talk my guest is Nigel Greening from Felton Road in New Zealand's central Otago region join me then Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles, and tasting notes by me, go to my website timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tim Atkin and on Instagram at TimatkinMW.
1: See you next week.